Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. So now with the uh, 2018 season in the rearview mirror and the class of 19 all wrapped up, it's time we can uh, reassess and also look forward. Spring football will be starting soon for the 2019 season. So with all that in mind, Will Salmon from The Athletic joins me here on Gators Breakdown. And, and Will's been around Dan Mullen and a lot of his coaching staff for a few years and has a really unique perspective on, on, on the Florida head coach and program. So, Will, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, Dave, anytime, man. Thanks for having me on. I love the show. I'm a big fan of the spinning helmet, too, in your background. So <laughs> glad to be on, man. It's a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was the uh, that was the Christmas present from mom. So uh, she she uh, she she knew she had to uh, I guess makeshift studio here and then fill it in with something nice. <laughs> oh, I'm a big fan. So tell mom she did a good job. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I, I share that. So uh, guys, if you haven't done so yet, definitely check out Will and his work at the Athletic. Uh, they're running deals all the time to to sign up there either monthly or yearly. Uh, well worth the money with uh, some pretty great reads from Will on the Gators, uh, Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel on the world of college football, and many contributors covering uh, all the major sports. Will, you, uh, you guys really really bring it there. Hey, I appreciate that. You know, it was really cool to join a staff like The Athletic, and a lot of people wondered why I was leaving, like the Mississippi State beat, for example, in Mississippi back when I was covering Dan Mullen initially, because I had a pretty good job at the Clarion Ledger. It's the biggest paper in Mississippi, but it was more so to join The Athletic because it allows me the opportunity to really write these in-depth, fun, interesting stories that I really got into journalism to produce in the first place. And Will, for our listeners who aren't familiar with your history with this staff, like you said, you, you worked for the Clarion Ledger in, in Mississippi, covered covered this staff or a good bit of this staff at Mississippi State and uh, then transitioned to The Athletic. You know, when this staff was transitioning to coaching at Florida. Yeah, it's pretty interesting in that respect, right? Because it's not too often you find like a beat writer who follows, you know, quote, follows the head coach to a different place. I sort of hate that sort of attachment, but it is what it is. Because like I said, it was really the the opportunity to join The Athletic and the familiarity with Dan Mullen and the idea that he was going to build something special in Florida. Obviously, that only sort of 
added to the idea of being able to cover a cool team with uh, some some aspirations of doing some special things with somebody I already knew. So it was kind of like the perfect storm, if you will. But yeah, I covered Dan Mullen, and obviously everybody knows a lot of his staff was in Mississippi at Mississippi State in Starkville previously with him. Uh, even Brian Johnson a couple of years back wasn't necessarily a part of the, la- the, the previous year's staff in 2017, but was part of it earlier in his career as well. So there's a lot of ties there. I started my career at Newsday in New York, actually. I, I, I'm a lifelong New Yorker before I moved to the South. I moved to Auburn about 2014, uh, worked uh, the high school beat over there, covered some recruiting, moved to Mississippi, started covering some recruiting in Mississippi, focused on Mississippi State a year after that. So I would say like the last three years or so, I've been covering Dan Mullen's team. Awesome. Uh, how's it like a uh, lifelong New Yorker and uh, enjoying it here in the South now? You know, the South, well, let me take a step, a couple steps back. All right. I've, I was born in Queens and then I moved as a very young, young kid in, I moved to Orlando when I was about two or three years old. And I spent some time in Orlando actually until I was about eight or nine. And then I moved back to New York city. And then I, it wasn't until, like I said, 2014 that I ever moved from New York and I went to Auburn and that was a shell shock. You know, I drove my car down actually a 14, 15 hour drive. And I got to the Auburn Opelika area and I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive back home. You know, like I've seen it. I'm good. You know, it's time to go back. I don't know what I got myself into, but you know, fortunately I stayed. I had a great time. I was only in that area for about 10 months before moving to Mississippi. And after a stint in Mississippi, to me, this is like home. You know, I really enjoy Florida. I love Florida. It's a great place to live and it's a great job. I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. Awesome. So we'll dive in even more with Will and get his Gator thoughts. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes uh, going back to last week. We had the Gator panel and also Todd Grantham staying uh, at Florida. So you can get my thoughts there. But you can find it at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, if you haven't done so yet, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, since you get to compare uh, a lot with your history with this staff, have you noticed any differences in how this staff works, uh, interacts, uh, do the things they do from when they were in Starkville compared to Mullen's first season in Gainesville? It's kind of funny because when I was still in Mississippi, when they when they moved to Florida, I would see a lot on Twitter from the Gators Twitter account tweeting kind of the same things like strain and relentless effort and all those sort of catchphrases that kind of made me smile because those were the same things that he was doing at Mississippi State. And it's kind of that same sort of energy that he brought back in 2009 when he took the Bulldogs job. The difference is that he's really not sort of antagonizing rivals like he did at Mississippi State initially he's there's a maturity to him that he's very sort of I would say at peace with who he is and I think he's very very secure very confident in his ability to coach and his ability to develop and build a program here and so to me that's the biggest difference is like I think he went through some growing pains in 2009 2010 2011 as he was building toward that special 2014 season at Mississippi State and once he got over that to that hump with that with that program, I think you saw a lot of his maturity start to evolve as a head coach. And he didn't have sort of that, um, I guess, attachment or 
drawback of being a micromanager like like he was sort of criticized initially as being particularly with the defensive staff and he just started to evolve a lot more as far as the other guys on staff it's also funny because i saw a lot of the criticism of as far as like recruiting goes with you know john hevis he recruiting like three-star offensive linemen and that was a big deal at mississippi state he started did the same thing we saw the same thing i should say at florida but, um, you know, a lot of there's there's so many more similarities than there are differences, I would say, because you're dealing with the same guys and then they're they're kind of showing you at the core of who they are, what they're about and what their potential is, because you're seeing a lot of the same things you're just seeing it at a much bigger stage. And so the credit that they're getting, the notoriety that they're getting for having the successful season that they have is well deserved because they've been the same people. I mean, the, what we're seeing as far as the development and the building of a program the sort of patient approach with recruiting it's all very similar similar to what they were doing at mississippi state particularly dan mullen himself all right going into to last season and, and dan mullen coming in the first season going back to the preseason you know of course everybody does it you got to kind of give your predictions and stuff and i was around that eight eight win mark nine win mark uh you know i kind of fell on the eight win uh they end up top 10 10 wins on the season a big peach bowl victory were you surprised at how Mullen was able to come in and, and turn it around from the Jim McElwain fiasco from the year before and uh, when you're not uh, kind of recruiting had fell off in the Jim McElwain uh, as well, not up to the, to the Florida standard as far as the type of athletes he brings in. But Dale Mullen comes in here, uh, shuffles things around, early loss to Kentucky, able to bounce back from that, kind of a midseason lull with Georgia and, and Missouri. But, you know, since that, you know, the second half of that South Carolina game really came out firing, really put it all together uh, to, to put a statement on the season. Were you Were you surprised at how fast he was able to turn around and, and get to 10 wins? Dave, I don't cover losing programs, man. <laughs> yeah. hey, well, you better stick around for a long time, then, my friend. Yeah, right. I made that joke a little bit a few months ago. Like, I don't know if I've ever covered a losing team, like in any sport. Like here at the Athletic, I, I predominantly cover football, so I don't I don't count the other Florida teams and how they're doing. And at Mississippi State, everybody experienced a winning season during during my time there, so it's kind of funny. But no, not really, Dave. And I'll say that because I think one, I wasn't that familiar with. I mean, obviously. So everybody was familiar who follows college football with like you put a debacle flat the previous year with Florida but I wasn't here experiencing experiencing it every day so I think my perspective was a little bit different in that regard where I wasn't sort of seeing it every single day it wasn't in my face I wasn't reminded of oh wow how how horrible this is right now because you know how it is Dave like on Twitter you see the masses and people just criticizing everything left and right and it's never really as bad as it's made to be and it's never as good either and that's sort of like what the situation that I that I was in because you know I watched the team when I got this job like on YouTube I watched every single game a couple a few of them a couple of times just to get a better idea of the roster the depth chart and what was going wrong and you know maybe some some areas where things actually went well and so i kind of like looked at it objectively and said to myself okay here are the strengths here's the here's the weakness obviously the weaknesses were a lot uh but i gave it kind of like a fresh slate and what i said to myself was okay these are the things that dan mullen was brought to do and these are the things that he was good at develop a quarterback and John Hevesy with his track record of rebuilding and replenishing offensive lines. Those were the two biggest things for me that were, that were the drawbacks last year because they, inher they inherited a, a decent amount as far as production, returning production, returning starters. And so, okay, you can make the argument, well, none of those guys were that great. And so they were returning a bunch of guys who weren't that great. But I did think that the talent was all right. Um, and you look at the secondary, you look at 
uh, a couple of guys like David Reese and a couple of the options they brought in at wide receiver, like a Van Jefferson, as long as he was eligible, I said to myself, you know, this is, this is going to be okay. You know, I really like what I saw from Michael Pirine and not to get too long winded here with the answer, but I really did think that nine wins was not out of the realm of possibility because Dan Mullen's call, calling cards, if you will, were developing, getting the most out of his talent and bringing along quarterbacks and putting them in a position to succeed, which was what we saw for the most part with Felipe Franks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Will Salmon from The Athletic joining us here on Gators Breakdown. And let's go back to last week. We'll you know, get a little current events here. And I really liked your insight where everything you were able to share on the, the Dan Mullen, Todd Grantham relationship. And you know, this time a week ago, we were getting word Todd Grantham had, had garnered interest from the Cincinnati Bengals, was their top target. A couple of days go by, Todd Grantham decides to stay at Florida. And with all, uh, you know, all this uh, after getting a substantial proactive raise. Uh, so what is the relationship between Mullen and Grantham? Because for whatever reason, <laughs> there's a thought out there that they don't get along or haven't got along. But uh, I think that's been pretty much debunked in, within the last week. Uh, I th there's a lot of trust there. Absolutely. There's no chance that that flirtation with the NFL on Grantham's part fractured that relationship at all, from what I understand, at least, uh, because Dan Mullen, by all accounts, he, he really enjoys having Todd Grantham on his staff. They really click. Their personalities mesh really, really well. Little things like in practice where, you know, Dan Mullen's one of those guys that allows you as a defensive coordinator to be physical with the offensive players as well to kind of get after it. And Todd Grantham loves that because that's his M.O., of course. That's what we see all the time on Twitter, the fast, physical, aggressive slogan. So that's that's right up his alley. They really click well in game. Uh, and what I mean by that is. A lot of times we see Dan Mullen doll up these long, methodical drives, and Todd Grantham really appreciates that sort of style. It allows his guys to stay fresh, um, don't have to rush back onto the field. So there's a lot of little things like that. And like I was saying earlier about the micromanaging deal back in the day with Dan Mullen, I think there was a time in Mississippi State where they went through like five defensive coordinators in five years, or Todd Grantham was the fourth in four years. And so there was a there was a you know a lot of turnover at that position. So a lot of people were kind of wor wor worried and wondering how long Grantham would stay at Mississippi State. And I really think that he would not have left that job if, if he didn't have if he didn't feel like following Mullen and that connection wasn't as strong because he liked it there, too. And so I don't see Todd Grantham leaving the Florida gig as it is right now. As long as he continues to have success, as long as his team continues to have success um, only for a head coaching job in college football or a defensive coordinator job at an attractive place in the NFL, because otherwise I don't think his contract would have been worded the way it currently is after it was reworked. And I don't think he would have uh, said no to the Bengals if that was the case. All right. And a couple of weeks ago, we had the uh, class of, uh, of 2019 National Signing Day and, and Dan Mullen's first full cycle in the class that ended up top 10 after a slow start with a heck of a finish on early signing day and National Signing Day. Uh, not sure how much you heard it in Starkville and when, and when Mullen was coming over to Gainesville, but the thought, the worry, the concern for, for some was, could Mullen recruit well enough at Florida in a good transition class, a top 10 bump class, uh, and the future class is looking good uh, for, for right now. And, and Mullen has about you know put that thought to rest uh, that uh, your recruiting should be a concern. 
Was the recruiting reputation fair coming from Mississippi State, and does anything surprise you or catch your attention with the staff on the trail? That's a great question. I don't think the worry was misplaced, and I word it that way just because, hey, you're bringing in a guy who wasn't necessarily recruiting four- and five-star kids at Mississippi State. For example, like you look at the opening, right? They don't have one of those in Mississippi. You have like two or three in, in Florida itself, right? There, there's, there's one coming up in Orlando. There'll, there'll be one in, in Miami. There was the deal, you know, the Under Armour uh, just last week or so in Orlando, and there was the event yesterday in Miami. So you don't have that going on at, at Mississippi because you don't have the amount of four and five star kids there, and so you're bringing in a guy who didn't have those relationships with those blue chippers in Florida, and so I don't think the worry was misplaced, but the idea that he was never going to bring it, bring things around. I did not agree with that because I knew, or I had a very strong indication or belief that he was going to win some games and he was going to have some fun and his style was going to be appealing. And that's how you win over kids that don't know much about you, because let's face it, that was the, that was a predicament that he was in. He comes in um, pretty good as far as spotting talent that he wants. We saw that at Mississippi state where he was able to sign and recruit a bunch of kids who really not a whole lot of people knew about. And he was able to develop them, i.e. a Dak Prescott, for example, who turned out pretty well. And what I also like about him is that he had he operates with a sort of conviction. And we saw this with like the Westons or the Marks of last year or last cycle that just passed where, OK, he'll sit around in the room. He'll go around the room and he'll say to himself and his staff, do we like this kid? And if not, here's the reason why. If so, these are the reasons that we're going to go after him. And they stand by that regardless of what the recruiting rankings may say. Now, that's not to say that they don't use those or respect those or whatever, but they're really going to trust what they believe in their own evaluations. Uh, but let's face it, heading into this next cycle, the big deal is going to be landing that elite talent reeling in those five stars because right now there is not one five star on that roster. To be fair, there's a couple of kids who are very close, like a Chris Steele, but in my opinion, to, to sort of get to that, where they want to be that next level competing for the national uh, college football playoff, you're going to have to land those kids. And I think that's going to be the, the number one target heading into this uh, 2020 cycle. Yeah, I think that's that's the recruiting thought for me as well. You know, it has to be he can recruit well. We, we know that. Now it's just how how well, how good. You know, keep keep like going to your point. Keep the state of Florida elite targets in Florida. Uh, go cherry pick from around the country if if you have to. We know what he can do with the players he had at Mississippi State and, and the limitations there. We saw what he was able to do with the same players Jim McElwain couldn't get much out of. Now, now it's all setting up to get his type of players, top targets that want to be part of Florida, uh, coaching and developing from a pool of players that you know he he has yet to have an opportunity to do so. Definitely. And you look at it locally, they're really in a good spot. You know, we see the Vanguard kids in Ocala, they're, they're five-star kids. One of them's already committed for the 2020 class. One of them in 2021 is a, what, a top five player in the country. So it's kind of like the perfect storm, if you will, that, hey, they're, they're starting to turn things around. They're getting the recognition nationally as well. And lo and behold, they also have these kids in their backyard who are very, very good, who are very highly ranked and highly recruited that are already uh, either committed to them or seriously considering them while you have a Florida state of Miami that is going through some, some struggles right now. So locally and in state you're building your, you have things trending in your favor. And I know a lot of people 
I have criticized it, but I'm actually a fan of like the California pursuit, uh, <laughs> the Texas pursuit. I, I may catch some flack for that, but the numbers, in my opinion, support it. Now, the commitments, you may not get more than one, two in like the best year ever. But if you look at it, those kids leave that state. And so you can't, I, I just can't be critical of pursuing those type of kids when, when you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, California kids, Texas kids, Washington, D.C. kids, they leave. So why not put your hat in the ring for them? It's one trip. It's one day. You're going to come back to Florida. You're going to come back to those counties in Georgia that you're having successful at. So in my opinion, it's a good risk. I, I just like the way that they're building things recruiting wise. Well, you know, not to dis disparage Mississippi State any, and now we see what's going on with, with FSU and Miami. But as, as fans like to say, the logo is different. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not going to California with the Mississippi State logo and getting Chris Steele, sorry to say. And that's, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't mean that to be, you know, super negative or yeah. make fun of or poke fun at Mississippi State. I personally enjoyed my time there. It's a great place. And I think Joe Moorhead, for example, is going to do really well there. But, you know, there is that limitation. There really is. And the flip side of that, too, is that you don't you don't uh, see a bunch of kids from Mississippi leaving that state either. So, you know, every every place is different. Every place has their pros and cons to it. And in a place like Florida, you definitely have more pros. And it looks like Dan Mullen is taking advantage of those. Well, for, covering college football like you have for many years, what is your, uh, you know, I didn't really you know, spend this to, to you beforehand, but uh, the kind of reputation of, uh, of the big three right now, you know, you come into the state of Florida cover, covering Florida and in year one, you know, it's all turned on its head. <laughs> just, you know, since Mullen's been hired, you know, Florida was third in the pecking order behind the big three. And now just a short amount of time at, at the top, um, you surprised with how fast it turned around from Florida being at the top and then Miami and FSU kind of still now figuring their way out. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really surprised by that because when I looked at uh, the hiring of, of Willie Taggart at Florida State, I was like, okay, this this makes sense uh, as far as his track record goes, his recruiting goes. He's one of those type of guys, unlike Mullen, who 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 was faring really well with four or five star kids at Oregon beforehand. I had some ties that were relevant still at Florida from from you know just his upbringing and whatnot. So that made a lot of sense. And as far as what he wanted to do offensively. I think anybody is really surprised when all of a sudden that just falls flat that first year and you're like, whoa, mm -hmm. is this the right guy or not? And that's really what it comes down to. I think probably for the big three in Florida, more than most places, is that fit factor. Is this guy a fit for what the expectations are, how quickly things can turn around or change? Can this guy be patient enough? Um, can he send the right messages on social media on, you know, when he's in front of public places and can, can the man coach, <laughs> you know, that's, that to me is, is the biggest thing that people sort of overlook is can this guy develop those players? Can he get the best out of those four and five star players while also maxing out on that two deep, which we saw Dan Mullen do really, really well in his first year. So that to me, I think is like the biggest sort of, um, surprise to me was just how that fit factor, um, is so prominent because I think when people look at it, they say, Oh wow, he's going to Florida. He's going to Florida state. He's going to be successful. It's not that easy. Yeah. It's just, it's you know surprising to me just how quickly Miami failed coming off of a 10 win season, even uh, after um, you know, their, their losing streak to end the, the 2017 season uh, never rebounded from that and lost LSU uh, game season or in the season opener. Uh, Mark Rick gets canned. Uh, Manny Diaz comes in the head coach. Now um, it, it's just, 
you know, going back and looking at the, the history of these teams when they're successful, you know, you can find pockets here and there, but it's cyclical between these big three of who's at, who's at the top and, you know, who's, who's kind of fighting behind them. You had Florida, Florida State in the 90s coming, kind of coming off of uh, Miami in the early 90s, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and then Florida, Florida State, good for uh, a decade. Miami comes back around, finds their pocket of success in, in the early 2000s. But it, it is odd with the recruiting base that all three of these schools have that all three are rarely really good at the same time. Definitely. Uh, like I was saying before, it's kind of like people assume that it's going to be, uh, you know, the transition is going to be good. It's going to work out because you're putting a good coach at a, a school with a good history and a good recruiting base and all that type of good stuff as far as facilities and monetary items going on and boosters and whatnot. But like I said, it's just the, the fit factor is super underrated. And a lot of that comes down to, like you were saying, how competitive this is, where there's like no margin for error. There's no margin for a slip up because like you mentioned, Miami has that slip slip up and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're debating where they are in that pecking order and you see a coaching change and you see and you just see things recruiting wise start to slip with not only that class, but, you know, you start to question, OK, like, how are they going to rebuild it? Um, how are they going to do things differently as far as the transfer portal go goes? So all those factors just become in, go into play. So I, I completely agree. I think it's underrated as far as like how challenging it could be. And the idea of just the competitiveness between the between the three, you don't really understand it until you're right there in it and you're following all these three teams uh, from every like in, in and out of the program. And uh, you mentioned it uh, just a second ago in the 2020 class and fourth ranked in the country right now, uh, eight commits, seven from the state of Florida, the other being from the state of Georgia. You know, this is the class that that has the chance to be special. And then Mullen, the, the, probably the, the class we may go just go back and point to is say, hey, there it is. That that was the turning point. That's that was uh, the, the the standard in, in getting those top prospects. If you want to if you want to look at the recruiting rankings and grade it that way. So are there any particular players or positions you're looking at and uh, going back to Grantham a little bit, you know, can we gauge what the Grantham talk will do uh, for this class? And Morvin Joseph committed last week, uh, the latest commitment in the class, uh, and mentioned Grantham uh, even after the flirtation with the Bengals. Uh, that could be a storyline we're following next winter if all the Grantham talk starts again. There's so much going on with that 2020 class, I feel like that. There's so many layers to it. There's so many details to it. And from a big picture perspective, you're absolutely correct in saying like this, this should be in theory, the class that people point to and say, okay, this is where things really got going for Florida and Dan Mullen, because you're stripped from all those sort of reasons that I mentioned earlier about last cycle of not getting to know these kids and not having the time and not having the prior relationships all those are no longer valid. You know these kids. A lot of them, you you had that head start on going back from last year, and that's why we see the commitments change now. Where you know they're not number thirty or thirty five like they were last year at this time or whatever it was. They're like you said, number five, number four, where wherever they are in that top ten and twenty twenty one for that matter is in good shape as well. And so you see that. I don't know how much of a factor the Grantham deal is right now. I've tried to reach out to some kids and just kind of talk to them, even off the record about it, if you will, and, and try to get some honest answers from it. I think we're a little too further away. And I think for the most part, people are understanding or parents and prospects alike know the deal as far as coordinators and the, the turnover percentage with, say, a Georgia or an Alabama and other powerhouses around the country where you just see it so much that I don't want to say they're immune to it or it's a non-factor, 
but it could very easily get overrated in the grand scheme of things. But I will say that a lot of kids love Todd Grantham. I think he's an underrated recruiter. I think he's very good at closing the deal on kids like a Bogle, for example, who I knew that he was after for months before his name started to get super attached to Florida and that, and that started to trend in that direction on signing day. He does a really good job of sort of pointing at kids, especially those outside linebackers, defensive end, and edge rusher types saying, that's my guy. This is where you're going to fit. This is how we're going to use you. Very, very good at that. He would be a pretty big loss depending on who they would replace him with. But as I wrote before, you know, that's a, that's kind of like a worry for like another off season, if you will. Uh, that said, you're absolutely right. And you're absolutely correct with bringing it up now because Soon enough, it's going to be December. Soon enough, you know, we're going to get a gauge on where Todd Grantham's head is at as far as what he wants to do with his career. And that's going to impact recruiting, no doubt. But the best that they could do right now is continue that momentum, have a special type of season, get into that college football playoff situation or 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 a conversation, if you will. And that would really do, do a, uh, a lot toward minimizing the damage if Todd Grantham were to bolt after this year. I'm glad you brought that up, of course, of you know how much damage you may not have much at all because you can go back and you go and look at in, your, in the last few years or almost a decade for Alabama now uh, and their coaching changes and it doesn't have any effect uh, whatsoever. They'll be able, they're still able to recruit. Even though they just had the number one class this past cycle with all the coaching changes that they had. You go look at Georgia and then losing Mel Tucker and still having a number one or number two class this cycle as well. It looks like once you get that key guy, that head guy in place, Everything else kind of just fall, fall, falls all around that. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the idea that, hey, you know, Dan Mullen is going to have his defense. A lot of people make a lot of a lot of a big deal about what Dan Mullen does offensively. But Dan Mullen has made a lot of good hires defensively. Aside from, I guess, like a Peter Sermon, who did not do well at Mississippi State in, what, 2016? Uh, yep. Uh, aside from that, you look at who he has hired, Jeff Collins, head coach at Georgia Tech. And, and, we, lo- and we loved him here at, as defensive coordinator at Florida. As you should have. I thought he did a really good job as well at Florida. And so you, you look at a guy like Collins, Manny Diaz at, uh, at Miami right now, of course, and, and a Todd Grantham. And so like what they have in common is if you look back, you read the articles, you go back to the games, they all play with that sort of fire, that intensity, that sort of energy. And so like what's the common denominator there? Obviously, Dan Mullen. And so he wants – if, if Todd Grantham were to leave, he's going to find that guy that that's going to mimic his style or be or share that philosophy, if you will, of having that energy, that attacking style, that physicality, because that's what that's been his MO as far as hiring defensive coordinators for the most part, uh, one, one or two exceptions aside. So that said, I think you're right. You know, the idea that if a DC leaves, it's it's something that's not as monumental or, or catastrophic as a head coach. I mean, that's that's totally different. Two totally different sort of entities there. And if if your head coach is in the right, if you have the right head coach for your program, and he's building all the intricacies and all the sort of um, phases of the game in his image you're going to be okay because the kids are going to understand that and recruits are going to buy that because that's what Dan Mullen's going to be selling them on is that, Hey, I'm still here. The, the, the team is still going to look the way I want it to look. Will Simon from the athletic, a uh, couple more thoughts from him as uh, we wrap this episode up in uh, the next 10, 15 minutes or so. And uh, will, of course, 2020, I asked you about some key players and, Look, it's probably, you know, what Carson Beck at uh, quarterback here, Anthony Richardson decommits uh, a couple weeks ago. 
uh, Beck's on campus, and you will know, we, we see uh, he plays you know, right down the road from from here where I live here in Jacksonville. So you know, really keeping a close eye on that one. Uh, be able to go see him play a lot. Demarcus Bowman uh, out of Lakeland, of course. Uh, you know those are the two headliners. You, of course, a, a quarterback uh, and, and a five star running back. You know to get uh, Dan Mullen's offense uh, maybe to to a point to where uh, it's kind of unstoppable in the fans' eyes here. Uh, but also you know, get, they got to of course look in the trenches as well uh kind of shore up the defensive tackles strong side defensive end spot and uh of course josh braun along the uh, offensive line uh getting him as his older brother maybe a grad transfer uh, later on uh in a, in a couple more months or so uh when he graduates from georgia tech in may uh we of course we talked about the potential of this class but it kind of really hinges on uh those names that just went over Definitely. You st- you started with the right names, of course, and, and that's how you sort of build that class. you got to get that quarterback that you want. I think Carson Beck checks all the boxes as far as what you look for in a Mullen quarterback, despite the idea that he doesn't make a whole lot of um, things going on with his with his legs. He, he uses sort of like a Mullenism, if you will, as being a willing runner. That's what we heard about Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask, right, all throughout camp, a willing runner. What in the world does that mean? We kind of <laughs> saw that a little bit, right, with Felipe Franks on third downs, and, you know, he, he's bulldozing guys over, and he's having fun and, with it. And yeah, shr- shrugging his shoulders now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and after it a little bit. And, and by all accounts, I thought Felipe did pretty well as a runner. I thought he got a lot better. I thought that was one area where he where he really tapped into some potential. And who knows, maybe he takes another step. But I think that sort of gives you an idea of what to expect from Mullen at that position, regardless of of if this guy you know runs a great 40 or whatever the case is. I mean, he doesn't need to have that sort of blazing speed. He could be a guy like Beck and do really well. I was pretty enamored, I, I would actually say. I would go as far as to, to use that word with his accuracy. I watched him during the, the Under Armour camp in Orlando uh, last week, about a week and a half ago, maybe at this point. And, you know, it was raining. It was windy. Uh, guys were running really bad routes and he was still hitting kids and he did a really good, he did a really good job. And I, I loved his arm. Uh, smart guy, very cerebral as far as breaking down what he's good at, what he needs to get better at. I had the opportunity to talk to him a little bit afterward and sort of get to know that side of him. So I think he's priority number one as a a lot of people already kind of figured at, at the quarterback position, they're probably in a good shape as you alluded to, but definitely something to watch as, as far as like Penn state getting involved and Miami still around with, with um, their, their uh, offensive coordinator having ties previously with him. So a lot to still watch there. You know, what we're seeing also is the fact that they're, they're really reestablishing Polk County with their most recent commit and also obviously uh, bombing out of uh, Lakeland, the, the five-star running back who I just think is, is a phenomenal, you know, runner. He, he's everything you want. He's that he's he has the size. He has the build. He has the speed. He's going to be a really special player in time. So I think those are two, those are your obviously two 1A, 1B type of guys. And from there, you look at the guys in, say, like the Tampa or Jackson regions where, uh, you know, over at Oakleaf, those two kids, I think, are, are really good players. Um, you know, I think one's on one side, the other's on the other side. And they, they're top targets. You're going to have a lot of competition for those kids. And further down the list, I honestly like a lot from what I saw out of, out of Griffiths, the guy from IMG Academy. I think he's an underrated prospect on that list. He really flashed. He won a lot of those one-on-one reps at Under Armour camp. Really deserved the the sort of big big man challenge or whatever whatever they call it uh, award over there. He really deserved that. So you're going to see a lot of kids in this class who I think are going to uh, be high end four star kids. 
And you're going to see a lot of kids like their most recent commit and the guy from IMG Academy who are sort of like that mid-tier three-star kids who are going to get that bump because, like I said earlier, Mullen and his staff do a good job of recognizing talent that they believe in. And I think we're going to see the rest of the country start to say to themselves, okay, these kids are actually really talented. Here's why. We learned it. It took us some time, but let's give them the bump that they deserve. Yeah, we, we mentioned Beck, you know, the Oakleaf kids, uh, and also Griffiths, the IMG kid, actually started out at Clay County right outside of here in Jacksonville as well. Uh, I previously committed to Jim McElwain. He's been committed to, uh, ever since uh, to Florida. He's been committed for a while. So, yeah, Florida's definitely hitting this Jacksonville area uh, pretty hard and, and a welcome uh, welcome sight for, for the fans uh, in, in this area, uh, of course. So, Will, last thought here uh, before we go, uh, spring practice coming up soon uh, in the Gators have some questions, of course, that'll linger into into the fall, but uh, this would be where it all starts. Uh, can Franks take the next step in his progression? Uh, who steps up in those four spots along the offensive line? How do you replace your two biggest playmakers on defense, Jakai Polite and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson? Uh, well, I want to start with the offensive line, and this is the key group uh, of the season to me. You have the Miami game, game one. Uh, they'll bring up to Orlando and, and a pretty good defense there they'll bring in. Uh, you know, how fast can this offensive line gel? You know, I'm sure in bowl practice they started to tinker with uh, the 2020 offensive line or 2019 offensive line. Uh, you know, but, but coming up this spring, it'll be about finding the, the best five in the key reserves uh, with, a, with a lot of inexperience there. So you know, I say the offensive line is the key position group to the season because of all the uncertainty there but also because it feeds into one of the other questions, and that's Felipe Frank's progression. You know, Frank's was better last year in, in part because of uh, the offensive line was also better. So if they take a step back as a group this year or take some time to gel, how does that affect Frank's in taking the, the next steps for him? So you know, I fully believe John Hevesy will coach him up, uh, especially after we saw such marked improvement last season. Uh, but that was a group with a lot of experience. It's funny how all those things connect so seamlessly, <laughs> right, Dave? It's like, yeah, you, you kind of need both, right, to have yeah. successful. You can't have the quarterback um, on, on his back half the time during a game and then still have the ability to hit, got, hit wide open guys on that brief opportunity that he has to actually collect his thoughts and see down the field. It, does, it just doesn't work out so well for you. But you're absolutely right with the offensive line. I'll, I, I'll start there as well. And I, in a perfect world, you do want to sort of add a, a Parker Braun, if you will, from, a George, from Georgia Tech. He's a guy who could play inside, maybe even center for you. And Florida feels pretty good about it, uh, but they recognize the idea that they don't have him. They, he's not on the team. Uh, he, he's definitely a target, but he's also a target for a team like Texas, who he has ties to and who can make an argument for playing time as well. So we'll see how that plays out in the event that they don't land him they still have to replace four guys, right? So who, who are those going to be? Unfortunately for Florida, they're in the position where they're also dealing with a couple of guys who are banged up a little bit with a Griffin McDowell who had the scooter accident, who's right. going to be limited, if not out for the spring. Noah Banks is still uh, dealing with some issues and may, and may be limited in the spring as well. And so you're asking true freshmen to step up and be part of that two deep, probably at least two, maybe even three guys that you're asking to sort of solidify those roles. And that's asking a lot for a group that's going to rely on redshirt freshmen, if you will, to, to maybe even grab two of those spots. I like uh, Rich Garage at 
at one of the tackle positions. I know we didn't hear a whole lot about him, but I do know that John Havisey is pretty high on him, like what he saw as far as a work ethic standpoint. And he was a you know a four a four star blue chip guy for a reason. He's pretty talented. He's he he's at that level where he could play or he could you know carve out a role for himself this year. Um, I, I like the guard that they got out of I think West Virginia last year, uh, Chris Chris Bleich. I think he does a pretty solid job. He should factor into the rotation in some way. Um, and I think those two guys, what you really need is a breakout to emerge from this group. That's really what you're asking for this team to sort of take the next level is who's going to break out uh, from their patch of, you know, redshirt freshmen, maybe even true freshmen, who's going to be that breakout player for you. And so for me, those are the two names that really come to mind um, because, you know, the, the, the upside for a couple of those other guys just aren't as high, uh, you know, Stone Forsyth, for example, could he, could he grab a role? Sure. But you know, how much is he going to give you? I don't know. We haven't seen a whole lot out of him where he's been asked to, you know, take a whole lot of meaningful reps in game. So a lot of question marks there. And for that part, for that, for even going even further down that road, uh, center is still sort of like a little bit up in the air. You know, Nick Buchanan did a fine job, a solid job, but he's definitely not perfect and he's not etched in stone as far as a starting job goes. So uh, there could be a lot of turnover there. It's definitely worth watching. And like you said, that has the domino effect of, you know, how well Florida does in the run game, how well Felipe Franks or if Felipe Franks is able to take that important next step in his development. So, there's that also like looking over at the defensive side, you mentioned the idea of uh, having to replace a Ja'Kai Polite. If you look at Grantham's track record, he does tend to produce uh, a guy who racks up a lot of stacks year in and year out, regardless if he's inheriting a new group or having to develop somebody new. So there's a, there's some, you know, um, belief that he'll be able to do that, whether that's a, Jer a Jeremiah Moon who may be dealing with an issue right now um, or a John Jonathan Greenard from Louisville or Andrew Chatfield for that matter, who is very promising, who I know Todd Grantham is high on, or I'll throw this out there. Uh, Mahmoud Diabadi is a great oh, yeah. player, man. I know a lot of people love the guy. I enjoyed getting to know him when I did a story on him in Auburn. Super intelligent. He's going to soak up the playbook. He's my pick along with obviously Chris Steele to, to play immediately. Now, maybe that's a role on special teams only, but I, I think he can make a case for building um, or making a move up that depth chart, particularly if, you know, if, uh, if Moon needs to, to, you know, need some time or if they, if they uh, mess around a little bit with Chatfield, maybe move him to defensive end behind Zuniga. We'll see. So those are the two things, you know, the offensive line and obviously where are they going to be able to pressure the quarterback are the two biggest things heading into spring. Yeah, absolutely. There and go back to the offensive line. And you, you mentioned utility players uh, there and Brett Heggie. Uh, also, if he could stay healthy this year, somebody we've been high on uh, going back to the 2017 season when he had to fill in in a reserve role uh, and start some games as well. Uh, would have probably started a whole mo lot more games last year if he could have stayed healthy, but uh, couldn't really go to spring and, and fall camp. Uh, without getting injured. So, uh, yeah, Forsyth, Garage, uh, Heggie, Buchanan, Bleich, uh, Banks, you know, those are the kind of the, the names there to, to, to look out for. But also, yeah, you go back to that buck, and uh, yeah, there are some things out there where Moon may have uh, injured his uh, ankle or foot in, in some sort of way, so maybe out uh, uh, this whole spring. But I completely agree. Uh, Debate, him coming in, uh, you know, you don't want to put too much on a true freshman, but with the way that that position at the buck uses that speed and uh, being able to get to the quarterback, you know, that in some points, in some parts of the game, when it's third and 11 and you know, your one job is to go get the quarterback. 
that's where you can slide in a true freshman because they don't have to think too much. Just go get the quarterback. Absolutely. And that's the idea of putting your players in the position to succeed right away, which we know for sure, or we learned last year that Todd Grantham, Dan Mullen, John Havasey, Billy Gonzalez, even they all have that track record of being able to do that and maximize their talent. I'm glad that you brought up uh, Brett Heggie, by the way, because that's a guy who I know for sure would have started a couple of games had he stayed healthy or had he not been brought down by an injury, you know, during game week for that matter, where I think that, that he may have been lined up to start a couple of games uh, would be my guess, uh, if, if not for suffering an injury, maybe during the week or the week prior to a game, because he's a guy who, who like you said, a lot of people are high on for a very good reason. He does have a, a decent track record to him. I thought when I was watching the games from the 2017 season that he was arguably their best guy or most consistent guy. Uh, so you know, would he would he have should he have made a push or should he have started in place of like a Fred Johnson, for example? Yeah, probably. Uh, but he just wasn't able to stay healthy. And so that's definitely a, a big question mark for that offensive line. And if he is able to stay on the field, if he's able to to maintain his health throughout practices, he's going to give them a boost, in my opinion. No question about it. Uh, one spot this defense struggled last year was in, in, in rush defense when it was all said and done through the season. And They've got to figure out what they can do to get something more out of the defensive tackle spots. We went into last season thinking it was going to be to Daryl Slayton and Elijah Conliffe. Uh, they, they got more playing time early in the season, but as the season went on, you started seeing Adam Schuler, uh, Marlon Dunlap, uh, of course, Kyrie Campbell uh, kind of step in and be the guys as that as the season went on. Um, I like what we saw from the from those later guys that I just mentioned, but I think for this defensive line to take the next step, David Turner's coming in uh, as the defensive line coach now. Got to find a way to get more out of the potential that we've seen with Slayton and, and Conliff. Definitely. I think you also need a pretty special season from Schuler, who who has the potential to produce in a bigger way than he did last year, although he really did catch fire if you watch those games. Uh, you see him making some really good plays breaking some double teams even on a couple of runs and getting his hand in there to help make a stop. I kind of share a funny story. Like when I first got here, I, I ran into Todd Grantham and I was just, you know, just uh, throwing some names out there, trying to get to know the roster. And I just asked him like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this transfer kid that you guys got? His eyes lit up and he's like, man, I love that. He's going to play. And so I knew right there that, okay, Slayton Conliff, they have the potential but I knew in the back of my mind that Schuler would eventually supplant them if he was given enough opportunity to do that, and he did. So I, I think with him and Campbell getting a bit more acclimated to the, to the jobs that they currently have will help. And I'm pretty high on David Turner. I know he didn't sort of uh, put everybody's mentions like on fire on Twitter and he didn't cause a big stir, but he has a great track record of, of being a guy that players like to play for and also being another one of those guys who maximize talent and who pushes kids who could get the most out of a five-star while also developing a three-star or low-end four-star kid. And so I think he's the right guy for this who has the familiarity with De with what Dan Mullen wants. And that's so that's one where that's one area where you could help stop the run. I think the secondary and the safety should be better. I thought that they got better as the season went on and that should help. And a lot of that was, Hey, I mean, like a couple of those guys weren't too healthy at the beginning of the year. Like a, like a Davis, for example, mm -hmm. he wasn't, he wasn't a hundred percent. I don't know if he was ever a hundred percent. And so he's a guy who I like, I think he, I think he's a great hard hitter. He kind of, um, you know, lights it up over there and he's somebody to watch. And I think he's going to have a pretty decent season for them if he gets enough playing time. And 
I, the other kind of thing that I'd be critical of or that they really have to change is those long third down conversions that really bit them. Uh, you know, I remember distinctively two against Kentucky that mm-hmm. were really, that, that hurt them bad in that loss where it was like third and 15 or something uh-huh. uh, or something like that. And they converted touchdowns on those. I mean, yeah. those, that, that can't happen. A lot, of, a lot of that were early season problems. But and going back and going back to that game, you know, trying to figure out what to do once uh, Marco Wilson goes down. And absolutely, yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to mention too. A lot of that was early season struggles of like adjusting the personnel because of injury and because it was new. But man, that just can't happen. Well, yeah, we did see it again, but probably yeah. and, and and honestly, because of injuries again, the Georgia game, we had plenty of times in third and long situations, and of course, being able to target CJ McWilliams uh, time and time and time again. But uh, that was. Uh, teams knew what they were doing in third and long situations when they could get the matchup they wanted. Absolutely. And a lot of people like they, they point in front of like the, the third and Grantham situation. <laughs> well, he wasn't blitzing a whole lot of guys. Yeah, on it, yeah. it was just a matter of, okay, this is where we're really deficient at. And everybody in the stadium knows it, including those guys on the opposite sideline and they're going to take advantage of it. So, you know, there it is. So it wasn't so much like third and Grantham, whatever. It was just that they were super deficient in that area. And that's why we see a Chris Steele now running uh, probably with the ones as, um, uh, as you know, before Marco Wilson gets healthy. Um, so we'll see that. And that builds depth. And when Marco Wilson returns, you have Wilson, CJ Henderson, Chris Steele, Elon will join the team as, you know, a, a high four-star prospect. So you see that depth rebuilt there, replenished. And so they shouldn't have those issues in theory, but we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see how it plays out. Yep, spring practice. Oh, they haven't announced the start dates of practice yet, have they? Not unless they announced it within the, what? Yeah. The show's time <laughs> where I haven't bought it. But yeah, as far as spring goes, the only thing that we really know is the spring game. Right, right. Uh, April thirteenth, one o'clock, I think. So, uh, yep, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no time yet on that. But it should be coming up uh, pretty soon, uh, early March, mid March, uh, when spring practice starts. So, uh, Will, man, I can't thank you enough for for joining me here uh, on the Gators Breakdown and uh, getting Gator fans a whole lot of knowledge and into Mullen and Mullen and Grantham and uh, your knowledge on the team as well. Uh, what you got coming up on the Athletic? I know you just released an article uh, this morning, and uh, what you working on? Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. I really had a lot of fun. It was great chatting with you. Uh, you know, this morning at the Athletic, like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, it allows me to kind of have the freedom to do some interesting or off the wall or off the radar type of stuff. And so I had the opportunity to kind of get to know Calvin Long. For those who don't know that guy's name, he's the officer who you see on TV every Saturday, uh, strolling right behind Dan Mullen or right with him everywhere you look. And it's one of those things where I kind of looked at him and I was like, man, who is this guy? <laughs> How did he get this job? Because it seems like a pretty cool deal. And I was also kind of curious about little things like, you know, what was it like when people are saying F you Dan Mullen in Starkville? And, you know, what was it like after that Kentucky loss? And vice versa, what was it like after the LSU win? Like being his sort of like personal security guard. I thought all that was kind of cool. Um, so I had that up this week and I have a couple of recruiting things in the works as far as, you know, the QB position under, under Mullen uh, heading into this cycle or where we're at in this cycle. And they're sort of, um, uh, path toward getting some five stars for a change. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, one more thing on the spot. Favorite thing about Florida indoor Gainesville. 
Uh, the two targets, man. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, actually. Okay. So I love the idea of going to spring training for games. It's something that, you know, I, I wish I was able to do when I was living in New York. So that's kind of like an under radar thing that a lot of people probably wouldn't think of or know. But I'm a huge baseball fan. And so I'm really looking forward to catching some some obscure games in spring training that probably not too many people are psyched up about, but I am. Not so obscure, the uh, number three baseball team right, right in town, too. So, if, um, I, yeah, I don't, don't know how much uh, college baseball you're into, but being in the South, I kind of guess uh, that's what you have to get used to now. Absolutely. I'm not exactly a big Tampa Bay Rays or Miami Marlins fan, but I do enjoy the, the idea of going to spring training and, and seeing teams that I actually do follow. Awesome, awesome. Will Salmon from The Athletic joining us here on Gators Breakdown, and that'll do it for this episode. Uh, guys and girls out there, you can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.